listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, January the 28th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom on Mondays, we like to take a look at the readings for the following Sunday, which just so happens to be the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Readings are from Psalm 71, Jeremiah chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 12, Luke chapter 4. Now, if there's one thing we've discovered during the season of Epiphany, it's kind of clear that the work and purpose of the Messiah coming into the world incarnate was already foretold in the Old Testament. What I mean to say there is that the Old Testament gives us great understanding of who the Messiah is and what was his purpose in coming. So we're going to be taking a look at the Old Testament reading for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. It's Jeremiah beginning in chapter 1, verse 4. So without further ado, let's go ahead. Verse 4 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, this verse can be used for a number of items, one of which, of course, is a reminder of John the Baptizer. Not only before he was born was the Holy Spirit in him, that was the promise of Gabriel to his father Zechariah, but also he was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And that's what John the baptizer did with his baptism of repentance in preparing the way for the coming of Jesus, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. This also is very helpful verse for pro-life people because you cannot read the Bible and ever find a passage where a baby in the womb is not considered a human being by God and plans are already being made for that baby in the womb. So during this time when we're still talking about the pro-life march, that occurred in Washington, Chicago, etc. It's important to know this Bible verse that while Jeremiah was not yet born, he was consecrated by God the Father and appointed to be a prophet to the nations. Now you can imagine Jeremiah's response. That's the next verse. Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. Reminds us again of Moses this time. You know, Lord, I don't really have the kind of ability to speak to Pharaoh in order that he would release the people of Israel. Well, God said to Moses, said to all the prophets, as he says to Jeremiah, the following, do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, 
you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Now, yesterday in the sermon, I made a big point about the difference between a good sermon and a bad sermon. I started off in giving a sermon, and it was all about Jesus, of course, being rejected by the people in Nazareth. And I did some exegesis. You you did what? Uh, Exegesis simply means taking a look at the biblical verses and explaining what they were meaning to the writer. But that is not a sermon. That is a good Bible class. And I even said to the congregation after they were about to throw Jesus off the cliff, I said, okay, let's say that I say amen right now. You may have understood that there were certain things in the English you might not have realized. Why did Jesus talk about that widow at Seraphath and also uh, Naaman the Syrian? He did that because he was making a point that they were Gentiles, people hated by the Jews, and yet they had miracles performed in their life by Elijah and Elisha. And the people got really angry at Jesus And the point of the sermon then moved to the fact that in the town of Nazareth, people were angry at Jesus because he was liking people they hated. He was not the kind of Messiah that they were expecting. They wanted a bread king, somebody who would take over the Romans, get rid of the Gentiles, But instead, Jesus incorporates the Gentiles into the Holy Christian Church. So a sermon still isn't done just by pointing out the sin of the people in the text. How is that sin also going on with the people in the pews? That's where the sermon brings in law and gospel. And I said, well, there's two kinds of people in the United States right now, those who are no longer attending a church, and the reason they're not attending them is not because the church likes people they hate, but rather sometimes we give the impression we hate people they like, like homosexuals, women who've had abortion, and this kind of thing, and the church becomes judgmental. And so I was saying that according to the text of Jesus, we need to reverse that understanding on the part of particularly millennials and help them to understand that we still love these people, but we're afraid of their destiny if they stay in unrepentant sin. And then I said, every one of you is like a Nazarene. You do not like the way the Messiah is portrayed in the Bible. And the proof of it is what you just confessed, that you are poor, miserable sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. You see, every time you sin, you are doing what the people of Nazareth did. You don't like the kind of Messiah that's in the Bible. And you want to correct his judgments. That's all that the sin is correcting God from your point of view. But then, of course, came the gospel. 
that as the new man in us recognizes our sinful nature, actions, thoughts, and words, we repent of them and can be assured that Jesus forgives them because he forgave all sin. Now, in this sermon, what I would be doing is talking to members of the congregation and what is their sin? They don't think that they can witness to others. I'm not a pastor. I'm not trained at the seminary. And the point is, is God will give you the words to say. Sometimes the words may be, well, this is what I heard in the sermon, or this is what our Apostles' Creed said, or listen to this hymn that we sang. And and then you might even say, I'll be glad to make an arrangement for you to speak to the pastor. I'll tell you, there are so many people out there who need to hear the word of God and are ready to hear the word of God. Yesterday, I had the privilege of communing a shut-in who's over 90 years old, and she has someone staying with her. Well, the person who was staying with her was a young woman who is married, has three children, and guess what? She's looking for a church to attend. Well, what an opportunity. The more visits a pastor makes, the more the church will grow because there are so many people out there who are confused as to what church to go to, etc. So, we ought not be afraid of them. That's verse 8. For I am with you to deliver you. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. Now, what does that remind you of? In Isaiah, Isaiah is fearful because he sees an image of God the Father and he says, oh boy, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people who are sinners. I'm going to die. And what does God do? He has an angel take a burning coal from the altar and touch the lips of Isaiah. And then God says, Who will go for me? And Isaiah, send me, send me. So by touching his lips, the Lord says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So, How does that happen to people in the pews who are Christians? Did God ever touch them? And the answer is, yes, he did. In the waters of baptism. Yes, I've often said that no pastor has the power to save even an infant. But we have the authority to take water, apply it to a child no matter what their age, and guess what? They receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is the work of God. God just uses the pastor's hands and the water. But the most important thing that's done is the speaking of the word. Now, where do we get this word? 
because God has put it, those words in our mouth. When we go to the seminary, we learn the words that we are to speak in the liturgy, in the sermons, in counseling, in adult instruction, in Bible classes, etc. And we learn them in order to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, but also to build and to plant. You know, before a farmer plants seeds, he has to prepare the soil. And sometimes that means going through the farm area and taking out the weeds or putting down a pesticide so little bugs won't destroy your crops. And then he builds and plants. Well, that's the distinction between law and gospel. The law is what destroys, breaks down. And what is it breaking down? It's breaking down the old Adam of sinful human beings who think, I do not have to be uh, saved by Jesus Christ because I'm not that bad. In fact, yesterday we had begun a study on the Heidelberg Disputation. I am uh, rewriting what uh, Luther had said, but on a level so that lay people can understand it better because a lot of times he used scholastic language and some of his argumentation is difficult to follow. And so I use other analogies to help people understand this tremendous document called the Heidelberg Disputation, which is not about how sinful we are, but instead it's all about our works, something that helps us to be saved. At the time of the Roman Catholic Church Reformation, they believed, yeah, you're saved by faith plus works. And the Lutherans came along and said, no, you're saved only through faith, not by works at all. And we gave various analogies to help them understand that. Where do we get this information? Well, I said, as I've said here on the radio station more than once, if I speak something that you disagree with, Get a hold of me. Ask me, where is it in the Bible? And if I can't find it in the Bible, consider me to be a false teacher and turn the station because you will not be helped by false teachers. The Lord came to Jeremiah again in verse 11. Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah responds, I see an almond branch. The Lord says to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. Now, I don't care how many English translations you read. You're not going to figure out what has an almond branch got to do with an object lesson that God is giving to Jeremiah. Well, it's actually a word play on the Hebrew word shaked, which is almond, and the participle shoked, which means to watch or awaken. And the point is, as the almond tree awakens and bears fruit early in the spring, so the creator of the universe from the very beginning 
is alert to perform his word and bear fruit. There were uh, similar, by the way, object lessons given to the prophet Amos. Now, Jeremiah understood that because he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like maybe God would give you a vision. I'm not saying he ever would, but let's say you got a vision of a beautiful flower and beside it was the seed from which it came. Well, there was no way that the two looked familiar. But you begin to understand that that beautiful flower can come about by people hearing the word of God. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Now, what was that object lesson? God himself explains it. Next verse, verse 14, Jeremiah 1. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. In other words, we see that come to fruition when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem. God says, Behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgment against them. Now he's talking about judgment against Judah. Why? For all their evil in forsaking me. Now what kind of evil did they do? Was it just daily sins? No. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. What does that mean? Making offering to other gods, that's pretty simple. But how do you worship the works of your own hands? Jesus had a parable about a Pharisee who did precisely that. Thank God I'm not like that tax collector over there because look at what my hands are doing. I'm fasting. I'm tithing. And I'm sure he would have gone through the rest of the ceremonial laws. You, you know what just this is all about? Is this delusion on the part of all human beings that our works make a difference, not only in the temporal realm, but also in the spiritual realm. And that is never true. And that's why God is angry that people are taking credit for their own salvation because of the things that they have done with their hands. But they have forsaken the Lord. So, to Jeremiah, verse 17. You, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Now, Pastors are to do that in a worship service. I use a surplus and a cassock. Others use an alb. But I've never understood those pastors who come out with a suit coat on. As though, you know, what I'm going to be saying is really from me. No. 
pastors are to hide themselves behind the garments because they're not speaking for themselves. They're speaking for God. And that's why he says, dress yourself for work and do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. See, that's what happened to Peter. This is after Pentecost. The Jews from Jerusalem came, and Peter agreed with them not to eat with the Gentiles. Well, then Peter was dismayed when Paul reprimanded him for not understanding the point of view of the cross, that both Jew and Gentile were equal from God's point of view. Verse 18 And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Now, if I was doing a sermon on this, I better not bypass those verses. Because remember what prophets in the Old Testament were. They were actually standing for Jesus Christ. As Jesus spoke the word which his father gave him, these promises to Jeremiah were also to Jesus Christ. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Now, at first reading of that, wait a minute, Jesus was crucified. Didn't they prevail against him? Well, read the last part. I will deliver you. And it's very clear from the Bible that the Father was involved in the raising of Jesus from the dead. That's how he was delivered. So yes, even if we suffer death, Job talks about that. Even if I suffer death, I will still believe in you because we have a faith that nothing will happen to us that will not work out for our good. We may not be able to be obvious of the good that's working out in our lives. But the promise to Jeremiah is a promise to everybody listening to my voice right now that you will receive the words to say when you witness to someone else. And even though you may not think, well, that wasn't that important, remember, the apostle Paul was saved when he was Saul by falling off a horse and hearing that he was persecuting Jesus, and faith came. It's, it's amazing how faith can come by the power of the Holy Spirit who will take words even that we use. Uh, there's just no doubt about it that a lot of times a couple will have a baby, but that child won't start going to Sunday school maybe till they're two or three years old. But by the time they're one year old and talking, guess what? They're saying a prayer before they eat. In fact, that's what happened to the woman we were talking to at the shut-in place, that she was so surprised that one of her children, who's not going to church, said, can we say a prayer before this meal? 
And they were shocked, and it really got them thinking about, we need to get these children into a Sunday school, into a church. And so we had a wonderful conversation, and we're looking forward to her and her husband and the kids attending the church pretty soon. Well, I'm Tom Baker, and that's how I would deal with the Old Testament reading from Jeremiah chapter 1. Tomorrow, Son of God, Eternal Savior, is the title of the hymn, and there's something about Jesus being referred to as King of Love. Mark Smith and I, Tom Baker, will discuss that. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.